Last week we looked at King David. Right? David as a as a king with God, and he's going to be one who rules and reigns with Christ. And something I didn't mention in that, I was just kind of thinking about that is uh, you know, David is a type, but he's going to be a king again. You know, I was just thinking about there's actually a reference at least four times in the Old Testament of David and how he has qualified to come back and reign in the millennium, uh, you know, because of he reigned in his life, in his trials and difficulties, he qualified to reign. Uh, it talks about it. We won't look at him, but it talks about it in Hosea, Isaiah, uh, Hosea and Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel. I'll talk about how he's going to come as the prince. He won't be the king of kings, but he'll be the ruler under Christ in the millennium. But it, it was a result of how he lived and how he followed God in his life. And we have that same uh, wonderful opportunity ourselves in this life. But as I mentioned, that there was kind of a dual um, aspect uh, from that verse we looked at uh, in Revelation. In fact, let's read that. If we could, Revelation 20, verse 6 says, Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection, meaning the millennium, and on such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And so there's that, that concept. Kings, as we've looked at, but it says they shall be priests of God. Kings and priests, that dual aspect, that dual calling that God has for his people. Um, and so it, it's kind of a natural concept, natural to us to think and easy to think of David as a king, right? He ruled over Israel for 40 years as their king. And he led them in battle and, and he was mighty in that sense. And he had his mighty men. But the concept of a priest is a little different, isn't it? Because... It's unusual for someone in the Old Testament who is from the tribe of Judah to function in that office of a priest. In fact, it didn't happen, except with David. At least how he fulfilled that as a type. You know, and when you think of the priest, and, and really we're talking about the one who goes into the presence of God, the most holy place, it was a fearful thing for that priest to go in once a year uh, and view the uncovered ark. I mean, he literally was the only person who could view the uncovered ark. When they traveled, sometimes, you know, you see Bible pictures of the priest carrying the uncovered ark, but that's not very accurate. They covered it with skin, animal skins, and no one viewed that except the high priest who went in once a year and not without blood. And he had to have a right heart, or it, it actually talked about him dying. You know, if if he if his heart wasn't right and he they weren't following God, I mean, it was it was a fearful thing. But here comes David. I want the presence of God. That was his cry. In fact, he saw the blessing. Do you remember how the you know we remember the story of the ark and how uh, Uzzah touched the ark and he was smitten, and so instead of going farther, they put the heart the ark in the house of Obed-Edom. And it says, just for those three months were there, it went out, it was heard how the house of Obed-Edom was blessed. 
And I think David, he saw that and he's like, or he heard that and he's like, what? Dave, Obed-Edom's house, but I want my house to be blessed. So then he looked and he inquired and he thought, well, how should we bring this ark up according to the ways of God? So he did it according to man's ways. The result was death. So he said, well, no, let's do it God's way because I want my house to be blessed. I want to bring the ark up and to dwell in my house. Which is really the type that we're looking at. David is a type of a priest who brought the presence of God into his house. And that's what we're called to do. And so David is functioning in that, that concept. He brought the ark to God's holy mountain. And then not only that, but he comes into the, he puts it in a tent and then he comes into the tent and he sits before the ark and the presence of God. That must have, I would like to talk to David and just say, how did that come about? <laughs> enter, enter your mind when it, before it was a fearful thing and then it's as if the Holy Spirit was speaking to him. Hey, it's okay. You can come into the ark. He must have been. Wow. But there he goes. Sits in the presence of God and inquires in his temple, as it says in the Psalms. And, and so he was essentially functioning in that role of a priest coming into his presence, offering sacrifices in the natural. But then he talks about sacrifices we're going to look at. Sacrifices of praise and worship and glory unto God. And that's a type of what we're called to, to do. And, and really the definition of, of a priest, you could say, well, I should say my definition. I'm kind of like summarizing it from the point of view of this message. And, uh, but really the definition of a priest, you could say, is one who worships God and leads others in worshiping God is an example leads people in the worship of God. Um, and so we looked at, at that concept of David as a worshiper previously, so we won't kind of cover the, the same ground, uh, so to speak. Um, but there is a thought that's related, and it's kind of been coming up in, in prophecy the last few Sundays, and, and that's the thought of rejoicing and praise. You know, God desires, he delights in the praise of his people because it's a way of connecting with him, a way of, of, of having a connection with, with the Lord. You know, David offered the normal sacrifices. He offered the, uh, you know, the blood that was required by the law and the sacrifices and the daily sacrifice. But he knew they represented something more that God was after, something that really is, is New Testament truth. Psalm 27, verse 6. Now shall my head be lifted up above my enemies round about, therefore will I offer in his tabernacle. He doesn't say the daily sacrifice of a bull or a goat. He says, I will offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing. I will sing praises unto the Lord. And so David, he, he fulfilled what the law required. He didn't, he didn't just say, well, no more sacrifices. He, he was still in the Old Testament. But, in, but he looked at and said, well, what does that represent? Well, it actually represents my heart being connected to God through praise and worship of him. And specifically, he's talking here, the sacrifice of joy. You know, he would come into the temple and offer sacrifices 
of joy and give his heart to rejoicing in the goodness of God in his presence. And what's significant about what was David was doing and, and his tabernacle, without getting too much into uh, the two tabernacles and the truths there, but with David, he established his tabernacle on God's holy mountain, and there was a, a great progression in that because when you think about Moses and his tabernacle, should have included a diagram, but, uh, you know, there's the three sections. There's the door to the outer court, and there's the holy place and uh, the most holy place. It's really, it, it's a very regimented place, and only specific people can go through specific doors. It's highly regulated, and really, the people were on the outside, and the presence of God was buried within and only one person could behold the presence of God. That was the Old Testament. Now, it's a, it's a type of our journey as well, but, but that was the Old Testament, and the presence of God was kind of like buried in there. Whereas with David, he established a tabernacle where man is able to connect directly with God in his presence. Because they had to, you know, he talked about it in Psalm 24 and Psalm 15, he who has clean hands and a pure heart can ascend the hill of the Lord. And, and then there's other qualifications all having to do with the heart. You know, who can sit and stand and then sit and dwell in his presence. But as long as they qualified in their lives and in their character, they could enter the presence of God. And they were able to connect with the presence of God. No man had experienced that except perhaps Moses. And so the question is, how can we connect to the presence of God as David did? Now, it's not that we need to go, you know. In fact, I think that's why God took the ark. We don't know where it is. Maybe we'll find out later. God will reveal it in the millennium or something like that. But we don't need a physical object to connect with the presence of God. And David had the ark, and that's was God's representation, but today it's different. We have the Spirit of Christ within us. That is our ark, where we can have His presence within us because we are His temple. And so we can just offer those sacrifices of praise and worship to God wherever we are. Not just at church, although we make that our practice as we come together on, on Sunday mornings or whatever services we do that, but the tabernacle of God is within, and we can offer that tab that sacrifice wherever we are. We want, in fact, we want to do that more than just once a week. We want to make it our practice, you know. And and so we need to make time in our week to uh, where we can praise the Lord. And now that it can be according to our ability. Not everyone can play an instrument or something, but you know we all have. I don't have my phone with me. We all have music players, right? Whether in our car or on our phone or computer or stereo or whatever, where we can sing in our, we can just sing along with the worship and, and our heart could be lifted up to God. Or if, you know, if you have the ability, you don't, you can sing without what, the aid of a music player. Uh, but whatever it takes that we can lift our heart to God in praise and worship to him. If you can't find good music, we have a, a YouTube channel called Glory Hill Music, and you can sing along and worship God to the Lord uh, to the songs that are 
on there produced by our fellowship. But, but the, the key is, is lifting our hearts to him in praise and offering the sacrifice of praise. Now, there was a prophecy a couple of weeks ago that goes along with this that is very practical. And sometimes it's stretching uh, to us. There was a prophecy about dancing before the Lord, you know, dancing in his presence. And really, it's just a form of expression in our praise for God, a part of our sacrifice and expressing our praise and rejoicing in the Lord. And you know, we mentioned already David bringing the ark up to Jerusalem and all the priests carrying it. And, and I won't read the whole verses, but in, in 2 Samuel 16, 6 and verse 14, talks about him bringing the, the ark up and it says, David danced before the Lord with all his might. That, is, that was part of his sacrifice. That was his, the, the physical act he did to praise the Lord. He danced before the Lord with all his might as he brought the presence of God into Jerusalem and into his house. That's, that was a part of the mechanics, you could say, of David doing that. And that's something we, we don't want to lose sight of that. Sometimes we think, well, that was David in the Old Testament. I don't want to look funny or feel funny in that. Um, but it doesn't matter about how we look or feel. What matters is our expression of praise and worship to God. Thank God we don't need to be necessarily coordinated in that. God doesn't care about our coordination. He, he just, or, you know, or what dance we're doing in this, but that it's pure and holy and, and that it's pleasing to him. And so there's an aspect of, of the sacrifice of praise we don't want to leave out as there's those times of dancing where we dance before the Lord and sometimes we do it Sunday morning. You know, sometimes we're led to do that. Other times, maybe it's a different theme on, 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 on overcoming or something where it doesn't flow with that, but yet we want to make time to include that in our repertoire or our sacrifice of praise. I remember Pastor Bailey would so often refer to that in his messages, and, and you know, he, we would see him dance and, and uh, engage in that during the services, but he would always make the point and say, but you don't see me in my apartment where I dance. I'll dance all over my apartment before the Lord. And he doesn't care how I look when I dance because, you know, but he, he would always include that because he wanted to offer that sacrifice of praise unto God. He wanted that connection to bring the presence of God into his apartment and into his heart. And that was his practice. And it was something we always picked up on. And so there's some very practical aspects to being priests unto God and offering the sacrifice. We looked at worship previously, you know, and then the sacrifice of praise. And there are some, some spiritual aspects to that and that we can consider as well. Now, there's some lessons, actually, we can look at from as being priests unto the Most High God. So there's the practical but then there's, there's the spiritual aspect of priests. So I'll just touch on this. And it's summarized in the book of Ezekiel. One of the main purposes or opposite purposes of the priest is summarized in Ezekiel 44 and verse 23. It says, They shall teach my people the difference between the holy and profane and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. And so the priests of God 
They were to offer sacrifices to God and please Him, but they were to teach others. And in reality, they were to be an example of what it meant to be clean and holy and pure before the Lord. Now, the Old Testament had a lot of regulations, and you read that, and it's like, whew. I'm sure after a while it became second nature, but just like all the rituals about staying clean. And if you, if you became unclean, if you touched a dead body or you ate the wrong thing, you, usually you could avoid eating the wrong thing. But, you know, if something happened where you became unclean, um, you had to go through a process of cleansing. And until you were clean, you could, actually couldn't even come into the congregation, you know, until that, that took place. Well, thank God in the New Testament, the rituals are, are done away with. We don't, that could get expensive, Getting, sometimes getting clean, you had to offer a bull or a goat, you know, and it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to mess up. That gets expensive. But there are still things as New Testament believers, you know, those things were a type of, of the, in the New Testament of things that can make us unclean spiritually. Not necessarily natural things, but Jesus talked about how we can be unclean spiritually. And he said it wasn't the outward things that defile us. But he said in Matthew 15 and verse 18, he said, But those things which proceed out of the mouth from the heart, they can defile us. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, blasphemy, and probably could have kept going on of things that can defile us. These are the things that defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands, that was another of the regulations that people were saying, you're not clean because you're not washing your hands. But you know, in our mind, we think washing with soap and water. They were just pouring water over their hands and saying, I'm, I am pure in heart. That was the ritual back then. You would just pour water over your hands and say, I'm ritually clean, so now I can eat, which of course, that didn't really do much. You weren't using soap and water back then. So Jesus said, it, that's not going to do anything because what makes us clean has to deal with what's going on in our heart, whether we're clean or unclean in, in God's sight. And so Jesus is saying it's a heart issue. And we have to come to him. And it's also how our heart responds to situations or to people that can determine whether we're clean or unclean before his sight. And, and that's why David had to pray, Lord, create in me a clean heart. When God revealed areas of, of his heart that weren't clean. And they were some big ones, and so he cried that. But, you know, even when God says, hey, there's an area I need to deal with, oh God, cleanse me so that there wouldn't be anything that would disconnect me from your presence. Because that was the thing. When, a, when an Israelite was unclean, they were disconnected from the congregation of the Lord and from going into the, to the tabernacle and offering sacrifices. They could not get reconnected until they had been cleansed. And so David said, Lord, created me a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit. You know, renew a spirit so that I'm steadfast in your way of holiness. And as New Testament priests, we're to be an example of those who don't just, you know, we're not to be those who look like we have it all together on the outside, right? Who can, uh, you know, sometimes you, you can get into the, 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 thing of saying, well, Christians are supposed to look this way and say these things and act this way. But sometimes you can do that with not having a right heart. 
but we are to be examples of what it means to have a right heart and a right response and a right spirit. And a priest offers the sacrifices of the heart as, as we can reference in Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. You know, a broken heart just means a heart that's fully submitted. It's not stiff. It's not, you know, unmoving. It's just soft and willing to be shaped and moved in whatever way God wants. That's a, that's a sacrifice that's well-pleasing to him. And that's also, it's something that will cause God to draw near unto us. I want to look at one final thought with you concerning two groups of priests mentioned in Ezekiel. We won't get into the whole story. This could be a separate study on its own, but um, you know, the Lord was speaking through the prophet Ezekiel to two groups of priests and, and it has a lot of application to us desiring to be kings and priests unto God. And so the first group was just to a group of general group of Levites. They were sons of Aaron who were appointed to minister in the tabernacle, offer the sacrifices. The problem was they had only they were only concerned with the outward things. And even that, they had just kind of grown lax in respecting uh, doing things the way God wanted. And they were doing things their own way, allowing uncleanness to come into the tabernacle. Um, you know, they weren't making a difference anymore. They allowed some strange sacrifices to be offered, allowed the unholy, you know, foreigners to come into the into the temple. And the, it says the uncircumcised in heart. Maybe they were Israelites, but they weren't worthy to come in because they were evil and doing evil things. And this is described, uh, I'll put this up on the screen, Ezekiel 44, 7. But just summarizing this, it says, uh, where it says, they performed works that were unholy. They broke his covenant by making allowance for unclean things. That's a short summary. But basically, there's a phrase, they did not keep his charge. You know, we are to be keepers of his charge, which is his righteousness, his way of doing things. We're to be keepers and guard. we are to guard the charge of the Lord, the commission he's given to us to do. But there was another group. So that this first group, they didn't keep the charge of God. But there was another group of faithful priests from the family of Zadok. You remember the priest Zadok? He ministered under uh, 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 David and then his son Solomon. And they were a family line of priests. And that family line uh, remained faithful to uphold God's standard, his charge, you could say. And it says this about them, Ezekiel 44, 15. But the priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, they, they kept the charge of my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me. They, here's the result, they shall come near to me to minister unto me. They will stand before me to offer to the fat and the blood, says the Lord. And verse 16, they shall enter into my sanctuary. They shall come near my table to minister unto me. They, will, uh, they shall keep my charge. Then verse 28, it says, I am their inheritance. They won't receive a possession in Israel because I am their inheritance. 
Wow, what a, what a testimony to this family of faithful priests who held to God's standard. They protected his charge and fulfilled it in their lives and ministry. The other priests did not. They did what was right in their own sight, in the people's sight. And the result, as God said in this chapter, he said the unfaithful group of priests, they would minister to him, but from afar off. Whereas these, the sons of Zadok, they would come near unto him, to his table, to his presence. And, they, and God would be their inheritance. And so what a, what a marvelous testimony these priests had. I just wanted to, I said I closed with one thought, but one more thought that, sub-thought to that thought. Um, because it's important to identify what is pleasing to God. Or maybe you could say, what is his charge? What is he charging me to do? What is he speaking to my life? What, what do I, am I sensing that he's directing me to do? Or in maybe specifically or in general or whatever that might be that we hold to that as spiritual priests. Because there's a spirit of this age that would creep into our heart. There's a spirit in the generation out there uh, that wants to creep into us. And the the thought that was quickened to me was that thought of the scornful. Isn't that a familiar response when people talk about God's ways like righteousness? They just scorn it. They scorn it. And that's the spirit of this age and this world. They're scornful of the ways of God. There's, the enemy would love nothing better for that, that spirit to make its way in us, that we would scorn things, that we, you know, the ways of God. In Psalm 123 and verse 4, and, and here's, this could be the cry of, those, of the faithful priests. It says, Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorning of those who are at ease with the contempt of the proud. That's probably how the the Zadok priests felt. You know, when they they saw what was taking place among the other priests who had neglected God's ways. The definition of scornful is to act in disregard or disdain of something. And there is a general disdain of God and his ways in society. But heaven help us when it creeps into the church into the people of God. And so in the context of Israel, there are some who had developed a, a disdain and a disregard for some of the things. Not everything. They still did things in the temple, but not everything that God was asking, such as keeping a, a separation from nation, other nations and what type of sacrifice they offered. That they, pick, they would pick and choose the things they did according to God's ways. And it's such a dangerous place to be to develop a disregard for some of his commandments or his words or his counsel or his direction or what leadership and all of those things. God looks at it as, as being scornful of his ways. What is the solution? Well, we can consider Ezra Ezra was dealing in a situation very similar to that um, during the restoration period. You remember how the priests hadn't been faithful in keeping separated from the other nations, and so they allowed their sons and daughters to marry, uh, especially the sons, to marry daughters from the outside nations, and it was corrupting them. 
uh, and they were allowing these ungodly people into the temple and so forth. And so Ezra called a meeting. And this is what it, how this meeting is described in Ezra 9 and verse 4. It says, And then were assembled unto me everyone that trembled at the words of the, trembled at the words of God, the God of Israel, because of the transgression of those that had been carried away. You know, when a word work of restoration needed to take place, Ezra gathered around him all who trembled at the words of God, that respected and reverenced his word and his direction, his charge. Kind of reminds us of a verse in Isaiah 66 and verse 2. And here's where the Lord is looking at his people and he says, the Lord is, is saying, but to this man will I look even to the him that is of a poor and contrite spirit that trembles at my word. That's who God is looking towards today. Those who tremble. Those who have a respect and a reverence and, and yes, even a fear of, of God's words in, in, in the sense of a fear of not, not following, of falling short in our, in, in our lives in an area because we know how weak we are. You know, and how sometimes our heart is, you know, as the hymn says, is inclined to go astray. But we say, oh God, keep me. Help me to keep your charge in my life. To hear your voice and to, to take your commission to heart and to walk in that. That's trembling at his word. In the world, people can have a reverence and respect for many different things. Right? People have great respect for those who have money who have power, uh, prestige, they have respect for pleasure and fame and increase and, you know, all of those things. But the thing that will keep us and draw us near to the heart of God is a reverence and respect for his ways and what he is doing in our day off and offering the sacrifice of praise. And so we're called as king to reign as kings and priests with God. <sighs> now and in eternity. We can do that by offering the sacrifice of praise. As David, coming into his presence and singing unto him, and at times when we're, we feel led, dancing before him, rejoicing, you know, according to our ability. You know, we're not, we're not all Fred Astaire. We, we recognize that. But the Lord understands that too, and he knows our heart, and we can rejoice before him as, as we are able and make time for that expression of our praise. And also endeavoring to be like those Zadok priests who held to his charge. That's, I think that's going to become so important in the days to come because there's going to be a lot of pressure upon the people of God to waver on holding his charge, you know, both, both scripturally and, and in our lives for what he's spoken to us. But when we do that, God, it says God comes near to those who tremble at his words. And it also said he would be their inheritance. So that is our promise. As we walk as faithful priests to the Most High God, he will draw near and he will be our inheritance. Father, we just thank you so much, oh Lord, that your calling for us is to draw near to you to minister to you in worship 
and in praise. Lord, we ask that you would give us such a heart, Lord, to to be priests unto the Most High God, that we would worship you and give our, our praise and our offering unto you and that you'd be pleased to draw near unto us. And Lord, that we would be like those faithful priests, Lord, like the Zadok priesthood who held your charge. Oh God, even just show us, Lord, if there's anything in our hearts that inclines to any way that's not according to your charge, would you reveal it? Would you show it? Would you speak it, we ask? Oh God, and would you just do that work, Lord, that we would stand fast in the way you're leading us and guiding us, we ask. We thank you. We bless you, Lord. We want you to be our portion and our inheritance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.